This episode of The Outside Podcast is sponsored by Hydroflask, maker of beautifully designed insulated bottles, cups, coolers, and a range of gear for your outdoor kitchen. Hydroflask is also a company that believes that every adventure starts with two simple words. Let's go. My name is Xavier Borja, usually just go by Zavi, and today we're going to go snowshoeing. Zavi is an outdoor educator, community builder, and Hydroflask ambassador. And for him, snowshoeing requires coffee. Every morning, every day starts with making some coffee. Always bring it up to the mountain. Bring it <laughs> anywhere I can, anywhere I go. Zavi keeps his coffee in a Hydroflask 16-ounce bottle with a flex-sip lid, so it stays hot even on the coldest winter days. Food-wise, I just go simple. Sandwich, peanut butter and honey. His snack goes inside a Hydroflask insulated lunchbox because who wants a frozen peanut butter sandwich? Snack, coffee, and water, we're good to go. Now it's time to get all his gear together. Trekking poles or hiking sticks, it just really allows you to grip the snow, but you don't necessarily need these to go snowshoeing. All right, gonna go ahead and load up our mochila, backpack, put in a little water bottle in there, first aid. Right there, multi-purpose tool, just cause you never know. Chapstick, also like to keep an extra pair of gloves just in case my hands get super wet or they're soaking. Uh, just nice to have a nice little extra pair in there. Hydroflask wants you to get out there and enjoy yourself, just like Zavi, which is why all their insulated bottles and lunchboxes are designed to keep your snacks and drinks at the just right temperature all day long. Ya llegamos, we're here. And conditions look so solid. Shop for yourself or for the outdoor lovers on your holiday list this season at hydroflask.com. From Outside Magazine, this is the Outside Podcast. So today's episode is a bit different than what we usually do. It's a difficult story for us to tell, and at moments, it might be difficult for you to listen to, but I want to encourage you to stick with us because this is also a beautiful story. It's by producer Patty O'Connell, and it's about a family that he knew well when he was growing up. It's about the dark times that the family endured after suffering a tragic loss and how they found a path back to light and joy and also a new sense of purpose. An important warning before we start, this episode discusses suicide. I was at FFC. It was um, this this gym, and this trainer comes up to me. She's like, "Oh, you doing planks?" I was like, "Yeah, you're, you're welcome to join." And she asked me something, which just threw me for uh, a curveball. How many siblings do you have? And for all of my life up until that moment, that was such an easy uh, question to answer. It's I have three siblings, you know, two older, one younger. But I thought about it, and out of shame or something. I was like, I, I have two siblings. Just because I, I didn't want to bring up the one who we had just buried. That's Lawler Co. He lives near Bozeman, Montana now, but we grew up just a few blocks away from one another in River Forest, Illinois, a suburb about eight miles west of Chicago. Our families have been friends for decades, and even though Lawler and his siblings were a handful of years younger than me and my brothers and sister, we palled around quite a bit growing up, and our early lives share a ton of similarities. Lots of team sports and skin knees from climbing trees, cannonball contests at the pool, 
lots of time spent acting up and acting out with your family. I grew up across the street from the Forest Preserve, uh, Thatcher Woods. Oh, yeah. A lot of my time with my friends growing up was running around the woods, doing things that kids do, pretending that a stick is a rifle and you're playing war or you're playing uh, hide-and-seek or building tree forts. Outside of that, I played sports growing up. I played lacrosse. I believe you were my older brother's coach at one point in high school. I was. Yeah. 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 Outside of that, swam a little bit at the uh, at the tennis club where you were also our lifeguard. Right. So a lot of connections here. Yeah. With families in our town. It's hard to maybe see the individual rather than like the entire family unit. You know, I still probably think of like the co's as like, well, it's the co-kids. To me, you guys all were always kind of like, rolling around in a, uh, you know, Charlie Brown dust storm all together. Yeah. Did you guys all get along? Hunter and I were probably the closest. If there were chores around the house, usually Hunter and I were the ones that had to do the chores. Uh, Regan would be reading a book somewhere and Jordan would be doing whatever, you know, the youngest child does. I remember doing a ton of chores, Kitty never doing any. Sean was the golden boy and and Brendan had his nose in a book at all times. You know? Yeah. I kind of thought of myself as like the permanent day laborer. That's exactly where and I'm I'm third in line as well. So, uh, yeah, that's that's what I always thought, but Hunter and I were uh, yeah, we were always the the ones that got assigned whatever task of the day was. Did you look up to him? Oh, absolutely. He was extremely outgoing. He always had the biggest friend group, always hanging out with the popular crowd. Uh, went to the same high school and then also went to the same prep school and then went to the same college uh, and actually had similar majors in college. So one of the reasons I followed him is because I, I just learned a ton from him. Hunter was a, he was a unique guy. This is how I remember Hunter too. Surrounded by friends, playing with a gaggle of younger kids at the neighborhood pool, teaching kids to swim, shoulders curled over his body, bouncing with laughter, probably giggling because he just made a wisecrack or gave one of his siblings a wet willy or something. He was incredibly likable and lovable, the kind of guy that lifts everyone up around him, if not a bit of a little whippersnapper too. A fact not lost on his parents, Mark and Kristen Coe. I think Hunter and I were pretty similar <laughs> as as little kids, and we probably shared a lot of the same characteristics. Yeah. Maybe employing like the Huckleberry Finn rules to life, you know, a little <laughs> lovable mischief. Uh, uh, more harshly, my, my siblings perhaps might have described me as, a, you know, like a charming little asshole. <laughs> Hunter was, I mean, was he was kind of a scamp, don't you think? Oh, he was. He would say to me all the time, Mom. Don't worry about the shenanigans. <laughs> and of course, I always had to worry about the shenanigans. He was the most appropriately named child in the world because he was a hunter from the word go. So he fell out of bed at eight months and he never really stopped from that point on. I don't know that he saw lines, boundaries. Uh, you know, I mean, he just, it was all just cool. I was always impressed with with how much uh, loyalty Hunter exhibited towards Lawler. You know, woe be to the person who tried to muck with Lawler Co. in any way, shape, or, or form. Hunter was really the stand-up brother, and he was going to be there for Lawler. We have struggled mightily to make sure that we do not elevate Hunter to sainthood in his death because he 
He had a complex life, as many do, and we have bail bondsmen in two Ohio counties to attest to that. (laughs) Mark and Kristen and Lawler all agree that Hunter was the life of the party, incredibly sensitive and compassionate, a hurricane at times, not one to give voice to his deepest emotions easily. He was a lot of things, sometimes contradictory things, a character perhaps perfectly exemplified during a trip Lawler and Hunter took with their mom to Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris in 2012. The boys were 19 and 21 years old, and their mom's sister had just died unexpectedly. I must have started to tear up, and without saying a word, Hunter came over to me and said, do you want me to light a candle for Jan? And he did, and and he walked with me and took me over to where we could light a candle. And the funny part of the story is that after he lit the candle for me, he then stole the candle cover. So I found the candle cover and it was like, oh my God, I have it hanging in my office because that that is the full complexity of Hunter Coe. In 2015, Lawler was going into his senior year at Miami of Ohio, and Hunter, who'd graduated two years before, was living at home with his parents and youngest brother Jordan, who was a senior at a prep school in Maine, but back home for the summer. Hunter had a lot going on. He was engaged to be married and working a big job with an accounting firm in downtown Chicago, which meant that he and Lawler were as distant from each other in many ways than they'd ever been. But their bond remained strong. They talked on the phone a lot and saw one another whenever Lawler returned home for a visit. And yet, Hunter was going through things he wasn't sharing. As outgoing as he was, he did not like to talk about his feelings. The Coes, like most families, had a history of mental health struggles, and Mark and Kristen had been honest and direct about the topic with their kids. Still, no one knew that Hunter had been dealing with depression, anxiety, suicidal ideation, and was self-medicating. Even Lawler just figured that his brother was maybe maxed out at work, and that was it. His higher moments were higher, but his lower moments were also lower. So I think he had a shorter fuse. I just kind of pegged that up to, look, he's stressed. Uh, it's, it's tax season. This, it is what it is. He was working a ton. I think he had not stayed on top of whatever physical activity he was doing. So maybe he let himself go a little bit, thinking a little bit too much about work. And on the weekends, uh, if he was stressed out, he might take a Valium or something. Hunter was, if I'm being honest, the the last person I I would assume uh, someone to to go down the road and and, uh, take their own life. But um, yeah, it it was never something that I ever would have guessed would have ever happened with Hunter because he just, he wasn't that guy. Do you remember the last time you saw him? I do, and it actually was not the best experience. So I had an internship out in Salt Lake City and I I had this shirt, which he really liked. The night before I was leaving for Utah, I like went into his room. I was like, hey, we just had a bit of a fight at dinner, but I was like, all right, here's your shirt. You know, like F you, I'll I'll see you when I see you. Um, cause I was a little ticked off at him and he was a little ticked off at me. And, uh, yeah, that was, that was the last moment. And then I went, drove out to Utah and I was out there for a week. And then it was that next weekend. I got the call from my parents of, of what happened. Hunter was home. He went downtown to, uh, 
I think watch Game of Thrones with a friend from college and came back uh, sort of later and we talked a bit, had just, I would say, a perfectly regular conversation about whatever. And uh, he went in to bed. That evening, Hunter Coe died by suicide. Jordan got a phone call asking him to go check on Hunter. After he did, he went to their mom. I went in to check on Hunter, and he um, looked to be sleeping and very much at peace. I was up in Sturgeon Bay, Wisconsin. We had been working on refinishing a sailboat that was up there. And actually, Hunter had been up helping me with it three weeks before. And he and I had a, actually kind of a nice weekend three, week, three weekends before. And before I left to go up to Sturgeon Bay, I actually, he was, he was in the house, gave me a hug as I was leaving. He seemed to be happy and, and, and excited. And then I got in the car and drove up to Door County and had been working on the boat for a couple of days and uh, was actually asleep when Kristen called. And it was absolutely disorienting. I, I think I must have asked you three or four times to re-explain that Hunter had, had died by suicide. It took me a while to both wake up and, and get context for that. But you were so perfectly calm, Kristen, and, and so together. Um, during that, during that whole time. But it was then a, a fog of driving down from Door County to Chicago. When Mark got home at about six in the morning, Kristen was up with Jordan and a friend of his. So it was Jordan, his good buddy, me and the two dogs on a on an, an L-shaped couch <laughs> just because we wanted to just be together. And then uh, Mark came home and and so started uh, the roller coaster of notifying people. The first thing we did was call the children because we we didn't want anything to somehow be posted to social media. Like, who thinks about what, you know, who should have to think about that? But, um, and that was incredibly difficult. Do you remember um, the phone call that you got? Yeah, and I, I think I more remember it as how I felt versus what actually, you know, the conversation between my parents. Um, but it kind of just felt like white noise right after they said what happened. I was in shock, obviously. And, um, I don't know if I was trying to process things or just, I was kind of replaying what they said in my head of Hunter's, I don't know if they said Hunter's dead or took his life or I don't remember what the exact words are, but it was, it just, you know, when your ears have that ringing motion, um, uh, it was just white noise. Lawler traveled all day in a series of connecting flights that got him home exhausted by that evening. The wake and the funeral were just days later, 
events that are blurry memories. But there is one distinct moment that stands out. You know, I'm not a, a very emotional person, but I think we had just gotten back from the funeral or the wake. And I was upstairs and going through my drawers and I found the shirt. And this is the one that I threw at him uh, the last time I saw him. And for whatever reason, nothing else to that point had really set me off. But yeah, I just I just broke down um, when I saw that because it had kind of bringing everything back for me. I have a notebook, which I occasionally write to Hunter and have done that over the last six years. I, I looked at the first one that I wrote, which was about a week after the funeral. And I had mentioned how I was angry, I was sad. I was regretful because of all the things that he missed out on himself and all the things that he would miss out on, on Jordan's future, on Regan's future, on my parents' future, and, and on mine. Because, you know, you walk with this person hand in hand for the first 21, 22 years of your life. Uh, you expect them to be there for the latter half. And uh, I think it was a shock just trying to process that. But that was the end of his story. Well, what I thought at the, at the time would be the end of his story. We'll be right back after a short break. At the top of the episode, outdoor educator Xavier Borja told us how he packs up for snowshoeing. Now, with his coffee in a hydroflask insulated bottle and a snack in an insulated lunchbox, he's ready for a day out in the cold. Ya estamos listo para caminar en la nieve. We're ready to walk in the snow. Let's get it. The joy of snowshoeing is in its simplicity. Probably the most accessible winter sport there is. That's the beauty of the technology with snowshoes, is that it spreads out your weight evenly. The key to enjoying any winter outing, says Zavi, is wearing and packing the right layers. It's a little bit chilly, but we prepared for that. I'm gonna throw on extra little jacket here. We can always take it off and just toss it in my backpack. Also, make sure you know where you're going. Pro tip, I like to take a picture of the map just in case I need it and I can always reference it later. It's pretty inclined hike, so let's get it. <laughs> and most important of all, remember to have fun. Enjoy where you're at, like the company you're with. That's a big part of being in the outdoors, you know, away from screen time and just enjoying what's around you and being present. Hydra Flask has partnered with Zavi and other inspiring outdoor leaders on a new video series called How We Go that has them sharing tips to help people of all skill levels get more out of their favorite outdoor activities. Oh, I forgot almost. Coffee. <laughs> to watch episodes of How We Go on everything from mountain biking and yoga to fly fishing and bouldering, follow Hydra Flask on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. My name is Xavier Borja, and this is how I go. Vamonos! Hey everyone, before we get back to our story, I want to let you know that from now through the end of 2021, we are running our best deals yet 
on Outside Plus memberships. We've also made some big additions. Beyond having exclusive access to content across our digital network and print subscriptions to Outside Magazine and any one of our sister publications, you'll receive a $50 credit at the Outside Shop to use on gear from top brands, access to 600 hours of members-only films and television series, subscriptions to navigation apps, Gaia GPS and Trail Forks, and unlimited access to masterclasses in topics ranging from fitness training to backcountry cooking. Join now or purchase membership as a gift for someone else at outsideonline.com slash pod plus. After Hunter's death by suicide in June of 2015, Lawler says the family was adrift. Everyone was fighting to find a foothold on life. Then, the next year, Mark and Kristen started a foundation in remembrance of Hunter. It's named Be the Boat, a reference to a poem attributed to St. John of the Cross that was read at Hunter's funeral. The idea is that you try to be the boat that Hunter was for so many of his friends and family, carrying people when they need to be carried. But Lawler, who had been so close with his big brother, really needed to be carried now, and Hunter wasn't there. Immediately after Hunter's death, Lawler stayed home in Chicago with his family for a month, then returned to Utah to finish his internship, and was back at college at Miami of Ohio in August. He says he was in a haze, in part because he was trying to escape his pain through heavy drinking, but Lawler also began literally running away from his emotions. I think I would get drunk, and I would get so drunk that I kind of realize how drunk I am. Uh, in this weird sense, I was like, wow, I have to, I have to get out of here. Uh, I, I, I just, so I just started running. And uh, I remember there was one occasion, I think I ran about tw- 10 miles that night. And halfway through, I kind of sobered up and I was like, all right, well, I'm five miles away. I guess I'll just turn around and start running home again. Why do you think running? You know, I think, I think, <laughs> I think a lot of times when, when, um, when people black out or are really, you know, drunk, it's like, I'm going to go eat like pizza or Cheetos or something, or I'm going to, you know, fall asleep on the couch. I'm not going to lie. There were some nights where the pizza was involved. <laughs> I might've run over there to get the pizza, but, um, I was running. I, I, I really don't know. Um, I think it was, it was more just to, uh, take myself out of whatever situation I was in almost because I knew that there was going to be a wave of emotions that were were coming because I had reached this level. You felt a little out of control or, or chaotic. And I was like, you know what? I, I can physically leave the way that I'm feeling. Yeah, I tried to run away from whatever pain I was feeling, which was, you know, idiotic in hindsight because <laughs> the emotions were still there. I was just physically not in the place I was before, but mentally I was in the exact same place. At the urging of his parents, Lawler went to grief counseling, but only attended a few sessions. He says it never really clicked with him. Instead, he made it a practice to open up to his family and his closest friends, talk about his feelings and thoughts. His running also became a critical part of his self-healing. He had never really been much of a runner. It was mostly just a way to get in shape for team sports. After graduating in June of 2016, Lawler moved to Salt Lake City, Utah, and began exploring the trails near his new home. Perhaps unsurprisingly, the Wasatch Mountains made running a little bit more enjoyable than the pavement of Ohio and Chicago. Over the next couple years, Lawler pushed his body to new distances, and in 2018, 
started to eye ultra marathons. I was surprised to learn that this was in part because of me. Lawler and I had been sporadically in touch over the years, and he'd seen my social media posts about my very, very dumb decision to take up endurance running. I remember specifically you were training for, I think, your 50-miler, and I was 100% following along on Instagram when you would record these videos <laughs> on your runs saying about how much you hated yourself and who the hell convinced you to do this. Yeah, I was really upset at myself for convincing myself that it was a good idea to yeah. do something as stupid as that. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, I was like, all right, well, um, you know, this is something I can try, and I roped a friend in, and we had signed up for this 50-miler in uh, outside Grand Junction, Colorado. Around this time, Lawler's cousin ran the New York City Marathon and did a fundraiser for an organization dedicated to suicide prevention, which gave him an idea. And I was like, all right, well, you know, maybe I can make this into my own kind of fundraiser run and you know, I'll start to go fund me and um, it'll be same idea. It, it worked out. It was, it was a very tough day. It was a long day. It's 11 and a half hours or so, 10,000 plus feet. It was fun, but that got me hooked. Lawler raised $13,000 for Be The Boat. The foundation's broad stroke mission is to improve the lives of children in and around Chicago who have been displaced due to poverty or an abusive at-home situation. And it focuses on kids because, well, Hunter loved to work with kids, especially teaching swim lessons and sailing. Since its inception in 2016, on what would have been Hunter's 25th birthday, Be The Boat has paid for swim lessons and sailing lessons and expanded to giving grants to programs like the Infant Welfare Society, Hepzibah Children's Association, and Harmony Church, underwriting behavioral health specialists and tutors, supporting pet and art therapy, and comprehensive services for children and families in crisis. I would say what Be the Boat has done is provide a nudge that could make more positive the trajectory that some of the children that are served through our grants to give them a different opportunity. Because in the case of Hunter, we were unaware of the challenges. And of course, we would have done anything to help him. So he seemed to have it all. He was engaged. He had a job. He was a college grad. And yet he suffered. And so what we're hoping is that with a timely, discreet intervention that we can change and uh, positively impact the trajectory of others who may not have the resources that we could have offered to Hunter. Nothing, of course, that we could ever do would ever bring Hunter back and return the world to the way it was. But I think that the, the Be the Boat initiative and the, as, as, a, as, a, as a vehicle to at least try to find something good that can come from it. Because, you know, Hunter had so many different talents and was uh, gracious and loyal and loving and all those things. And to the extent that that can be channeled in, into something that, that can help honor that memory, that's, that seems like a great thing. To date, Be The Boat has raised nearly $600,000, and Lawler and his very busy, busy feet have raised almost 70000 of that. His latest fundraising effort was a race called the Scout Mountain 100 this past June that has over 20,000 feet of vertical elevation gain, Temperatures were in the 90s during his run. Of the 67 racers at the start, 
34 dropped out by mile 50. But Lawler was completely unfazed. I'm just kidding. He was in terrible, terrible shape. Mile 60, I had symptoms of heat stroke. Uh, I had been throwing up my food for the last 15 miles. I kind of thought I was done. And we're at the medical tent, and there are a number of people that are in cots that are laying down. The lead woman had just come in ahead of this time, and she was falling asleep as people were talking to her. The guy next to me, they wouldn't, they were not going to let back onto the course until he could urinate. And he had probably uh, drank 12 liters of water by that point and nothing was coming out. So he was having some kidney issues. Um, but yeah, I, I stayed at the med tent for three or four hours. They got some liquids back in me, a lot of broth uh, with a lot of salts. And I started being able to hold food down and slept on and off on this cot in a sleeping bag uh, for three or four hours. And it totally brought me back to life. What did it feel like to cross the finish line? Oh, it was so fun. We were knocking off seven-minute miles for the last two or three miles. Wow. Yeah, finished strong, and I was so thrilled. Did you think about Hunter during the run? Uh, I did, mainly during the night portion. Um, I was feeling pretty low at that point. Uh, I, I was not exactly holding my food down. I was pretty much running solo. And when half the field drops out, you spend a lot of time by yourself. And um, it really got me thinking again of, of why I'm doing this and how lucky I am to be doing this. Um, but there are also, you know, moments of doubt. I think my thinking of Hunter, um, like that experience has changed over the years to where I'm not as down about it uh, it's not grief or so extreme but it's it's more just my appreciation of being able to carry his name I think my feelings about running have changed I think initially it was this was like my retreat from from dealing with uh, whatever anger or uh, guilt or whatever that I felt inside. Running has really been kind of my meditation and my form of counseling because uh, for whatever reason, it just uh, puts me at ease and I think it lets me experience uh, painful moments, uh, well, mainly physically, but uh, allows me to put myself in these situations that are tough that I have to bring myself back from but uh, I also can experience massive joy from them. In other words, Lawler is no longer running away from his pain. He's running towards life. That's the odd thing about grief and loss. They often come along with a deeper understanding and a new perspective, which I think is why the poem that was read at Hunter's funeral, the poem that gave the foundation its name, also gave the Coe family a guiding light. What amazes me about the Coes is that they've continued relentlessly moving forward, not in spite of their suffering, but with it, toward a place where they, or all of us, can be the boat. And I saw the river over which every soul must pass to reach the kingdom of heaven. And the name of that river was suffering. And I saw a boat which carries souls across the river. And the name of that boat was love. And the name of that boat was love. And the name of that boat was love.
This episode was produced by Patty O'Connell and edited by me, Michael Roberts. Music by Louis Weeks. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is a hotline for individuals in crisis or for those looking to help someone else who is. To speak with a certified listener, call 1-800-273-8255 or go to suicidepreventionlifeline.org to chat with a counselor. It's free, confidential, and available 24 hours a day, every day. To learn more about the Be The Boat Foundation, visit betheboat.org. And you can follow Lawler Co.'s running and fundraising on Instagram. He's at Lawler underscore and underscore co. Co is C-O-E. This episode was brought to you by Hydroflask, maker of beautifully designed insulated bottles, cups, and coolers, and a company that believes that every adventure starts with two simple words. Let's go. Shop Hydroflask products for yourself or the outdoor lovers on your holiday list this season at hydroflask.com. The Outside Podcast is made possible by the support of our Outside Plus members. If you're not a member yet, now is a great time to join, as we're offering the best deals of the year, and we keep adding amazing benefits. Learn more at outsideonline.com slash pod plus. That's P-O-D-P-L-U-S.